You're listening to Snyder & Associates Podcast Series, a civil engineering planning and design firm focused on thinking beyond engineering to improve quality of life within the communities we serve. This episode's hosts are Tim West, Eric Cannon, and Clay Schnuckloff. Generally, we try to recommend about six months for small or medium projects, and those usually require some form of preliminary design, construction design, and a bid period, which I'll outline briefly here. But these are pretty standard across most of the projects, wouldn't you guys agree? Yeah, we definitely need the amount of time to get through the design process. There's a lot of decisions to be made. The schematic design or preliminary design period can be very quick, around a month in in time frame, but that's where the overall project budget and the overall project schedule is going to be determined. We also start to look at all of the environmental work or geotechnical work. So that phase starts off right away. Usually we're working with the architect, mechanical, electrical, and structural engineers to determine the overall project package and look at that initial budget. Preliminary design continues into a design development phase, which also includes the site planning phase. At the tail end of that preliminary design, we usually get to a progress point where we can submit our drawings and our design to a jurisdiction for them to review for a site plan approval. This typically requires building plans and site plans, and that will go through the Plan and Zoning Commission and a city council. A cost estimate is also generated at the end of that phase, and that becomes pretty important. Once that's determined, there's a construction document phase, which starts to add detail to the project. And that starts to also uncover any type of need for value engineering or modification to the design so that you can have a package that you feel confident with when moving into a bid period. Tim, you mentioned the geotechnical engineer involvement. When do you typically see that coming into the fold of the design And how do you handle poor soils or those factors when it comes into risk and contingencies related to the project? We try to get the geotechnical work going as soon as possible. Once we have an understanding of the schematic or preliminary design, we will usually coordinate those soil borings so that we can determine what type of soil types, what type of groundwater table exists on our site and to see if there's any sort of expansive or poor soils that we're going to have to mitigate. Once determined that we have some sort of problem, we will usually recommend setting aside some sort of a contingency budget to deal with those problem soil areas. We also can pinpoint the exact location of those based on our progress as we design the project so that we can determine if we need to move the building or a parking lot or something that may allow us to avoid that condition altogether. We usually have a couple of different geotechnical engineering firms that we like to work with that we understand how they operate and their schedules. And likewise, they understand how we like to progress through the design so we can include their services in with ours. And typically we do include them in our contracts so that We can be in control of that work and hit those milestone dates associated with the design schedule. If you wait till the end of the design schedule or worse yet, you wait for construction to find out what soils you have, that's going to cause a lot of problems and potentially slow your project down in the construction phase. 
One thing that has come up in the past for me was I'd like to ask the client or the owner what maybe was in this area previously, maybe some historical information. The geotechnical definitely helps. But one time we actually found a footing from an old building that was there before that they just ended up burying on site. Of course, we didn't have soil borings every five feet. But those contingencies that you were just talking about come into play at that time. And if we know that going in, we can accommodate that and work around it. If it's a surprise in construction, it can really cost a lot of money and equally important time. And that can be a big delay for the construction project. When we're doing our cost opinions, we typically include some what if bid or or construction items in there. So if we need to add in some additional pavement, if we need to add in some core out excavation and replacement of that area with rock or with good soil, we can get those lined up and estimated and get them onto a bid form so that we have a negotiated bid price on that and not have to be held hostage on a per unit price for adding fly ash or removing and replacing soils based on a single contractor in the middle of the construction period. During construction, I've had the scenario where the contractor has brought up an option to maybe value engineer a particular product or piece of the project to help with the contract price a little bit too. Have you seen that very often? We will work with them on that. Typically, we have a value engineering phase at the tail end of our construction document phase as well. We try to identify those areas. The owner may wish to follow our advice or they may may wish to leave it in the bid. A good contractor can help us out with some of those options too, especially if we have to adjust to something that occurs during construction, like a time frame issue or an unknown condition that wasn't uncovered in the soils report or some of our survey starts to become an issue, then we can change the way it's designed a little bit in construction and maybe reduce the cost of that item by working with the contractor. Once we're complete with those construction documents and we have a solid cost opinion, we move into a bidding phase. And this is where it gets a little different than some of the other projects that we work on. The public bidding phase requires a number of notifications. It requires a lot of information up front in the bid documents that tell bidders what the rules are on how to submit your bid, where to submit it, and to what conditions and bonding, et cetera, are required as a part of that. We usually recommend saving about a month to six weeks to prepare the bid forms, have a bid period for the potential bidders to pull their pricing together and to get those bids opened, read, and approved through an owner or jurisdiction so that we can prepare construction contracts. From a schematic design phase all the way through a bid phase, we typically recommend six to eight months to complete that work as preliminary work. And as you guys have noticed, there's a couple of critical pre-construction items like the soils that can go a long ways towards eliminating delays during construction that we can spend in that design period. The big difference I see here between obviously public projects and private projects is that bidding phase. Because we do have a lot of private development projects with architects where we go through that schematic design development construction documents. But when we're working with the public entities, that bidding phase, that timeline of meeting all the law and code requirements are really the big difference there. Yeah, you're right. And these types of projects usually don't end once an amount of site work is completed. Those projects generally have an architectural component, you know, in the form of a large building It might also be a large park construction or something like that that might 
require some additional time. We continue on through a construction phase, which is fairly well regimented and deals with a lot of those same rules so that we can make sure that these projects meet the public bid guidelines and that they're meeting the specifications and the plans that are set forth as part of that process. A couple of tips related to that. The building projects generally take about six to 12 months, depending on start dates and depending on how large those buildings are. We try to avoid any scheduling of substantial or critical site work between the months of October and March over the winter months. Sometimes you'll get put into a trap where you want to try to get some work done at the very tail end of the year or you want to start right away in March. We've seen over time that those months are very, very inconsistent for temperatures and rainfall. And so any scheduling that would occur during those months, you want that to either be associated with an enclosed structure or non-critical site work that can be done over a large amount of time, such as maybe some fencing or some other type of maybe a playground structure installation. But there's other parts of that work that can't be done. So based on that example, you wouldn't be able to install play surfacing in March or in October, potentially because of nighttime temperatures. Another thing that we look at when we set our construction schedules is trying not to start the project too early. Grading and utility work usually can't start until May of any given year. We try to allocate demolition activities and shop drawings for March and April. That gives it a little more of a realistic schedule. If there's really good weather in March and April, then they can go ahead and move forward with that but we don't want to start the project off one or two months behind because we were anticipating better weather than what is historically available in March and April. That also goes for weather delays in the spring and late fall. It's usually wet through May, and usually we have some temperature problems, if not rain in October, that starts to reduce the amount of work that we can get done. You mentioned in the bidding phase, kind of receiving bids from contractors, I assume. We provide estimates so that the owner has an understanding of roughly where that bid's going to come in at. What happens when those bids come in above our estimate or the construction budget that the owner has allocated to the project and they don't have the money to build what the low bid has been provided? That happens quite frequently where we come in with a construction estimate that's above their budget. A lot of times that's tracked throughout the project, but based on our experience, we've seen different bid climates cause higher prices such as steel prices or cement prices being out of the ordinary. What we typically do is we identify a number of bid alternates or items that we discuss with the owner that this sure would be nice to have this item, but what would be the alternative to building that? It might be a reduction to an area so that there might be a portion of a parking lot that would be designated as a bid alternate area. If there's enough money and the bids come in good, they can pick up that extra parking area or maybe the last 10% of the parking. There likewise might be some different savings in the different style of equipment or levels of service that are associated with a different project, such as we may be able to reduce the number of bleachers in a ball field or we might be able to change the way that an area is configured so that it costs less, but is maybe a different concept than what they wanted. All of those improvements can be linked into the bid form so that there's some areas where we can reduce the price or the owner can accept less construction to fit into the budget. That can work in the reverse way that we can add in wish items that didn't fit into the budget as we were tracking them during design. But if we get 
extraordinarily good bids, we may be able to bring those back into the project. Another area we find is very valuable for the owner is to invest in an informed construction manager. That manager can be us. Uh, Snyder & Associates provides a lot of construction services, and we can be there to help on the administration of a job all the way through being there every day to observe the progress on any given project. The owner can also provide an informed representative on a project that can keep an eye on the progress and on the schedule. That person is pretty important to the construction job, and we would recommend that we have a pretty thorough discussion on who's going to be that person when construction comes around to maintain those schedules and make sure everything's getting constructed per the specifications and the plans. Then the last tip I would offer is to plan ahead and give the contractor as much construction time as possible. In the public bid world, we want to make sure that we're lining up the working days and the schedule to meet the work that's associated with those projects and to allow for some weather and rain delay. It's important to make sure we're not constricting that schedule too tightly because it will show up on bid day in poor bid prices and that could cost the project substantially more if we're trying to get that project done in an unrealistic or less realistic time frame. Based on our experience, the best bidding period for these publicly bid projects is usually late December through February. This gives us the ability to take advantage of contractors usually having a lesser workload and they can focus on the projects and start to line out the work in the year ahead of them. The second best time to bid a project is usually in July. That allows for the spring rush to get through for construction, and it allows us to start to plan for a fall grading and foundation package so that the contractor can get a start on the project in the fall, get the building up and enclosed before the winter weather comes in, and they can work on the building over that winter time when there's little else we can do on the site construction. So a sample schedule might be as follows. Option A would be for a 12-month building. January bid and getting the approvals done early in the year would allow us to get shop drawings and demolition done in February and March. April, May would be grading in utilities and foundations, and then the building can start in June. And if that's a 12-month building construction, that would finish up the building in the spring of the following year and allow us to finish up our site work in the following spring targeting a June 1st completion date. That would allow us enough good weather to get seating down and complete any concrete or pavement installations in the following spring and give some reasonable time frame for any bad weather or delays due to a wet season here or there. A second option would be for a six-month building. Maybe you have something that's a little smaller or might be more associated with a private development type of project, like an apartment building that might still have some significant design features to it. But July bid could be an appropriate time to do that and get your August demolition and grading done with a September utility and foundation work. That would allow the building to start in October and extend over the winter. And then you can finish up the site work in the spring with that June 1st completion date. There's a lot of different ways that we can assist in outlining a construction schedule. We would just want to meet with you as soon as possible and start laying out your plans for your next project. Thank you for listening to Snyder & Associates podcast series, a civil engineering, planning, and design firm focused on thinking beyond engineering to improve quality of life within the communities we serve. Find content related to this episode on snyder-associates.com.